Welcome back to another edition of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do this without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to start by saying thank you to all of them. First, to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our platinum sponsors, Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gilman Gear, always a step ahead. Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. And Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Thank you to all of our great sponsors. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Educational Athletic Director. This is also the FIAAA Insider. Our guest today is Dan Talbot. Dan is a certified Master Athletic Administrator, and he's the District AD for the Polk County School District in Polk County, Florida. Dan, welcome to the show. I uh, appreciate you having me, Jake. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, uh, glad to have somebody of your caliber. Uh, as you know, athletic directors are busy. It's a busy time of year, so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, we always like to start off the podcast uh, by giving the athletic directors a chance to tell their stories. So, you know, tell the folks about yourself, where you grew up, uh, where you went to school, um, you know, how you got to where you are now. Okay. Um, so my father was in the military. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my father was stationed in Plattsburgh. Um, and of course, with any kind of military family, you're on the move and uh, did a good portion of my growing up in Travis Air Force Base out in California. Uh, and then right before I was getting ready to go into high school, my father got orders to Japan. And there was another gentleman in his unit that got orders to Alaska. Um, my father didn't want to go to Japan. I didn't want to go to Japan either. Uh, and the guy he was talking to didn't want to go to Alaska. And um, at that time in the military, I don't know if it's changed now, but you had to do two over uh, seas tour of duty. Obviously he did, uh, one in Italy before I was born in Alaska counted at, as a second. So they were talking and I don't want to go to Japan. I don't want to go to Alaska. And they're like, I'd rather go to Japan. And my father said, I'd rather go to Alaska. So they went into the commander and he says, I don't care who goes where someone's going to Japan and someone's going to Alaska. So, uh, we moved up to Alaska and I finished uh, middle school up there and started my high school career in Alaska. Um, enjoyed it. Uh, it was a different way of life. Basically, it's normal, just like any other place. But in the summertime, the sun does not go down. In the wintertime, the sun does not go up. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get into sports there. Uh, I played high school football in Anchorage, Alaska. I played hockey. Uh, I did track. Um, I did everything you possibly could, you know, as a, a young athlete in high school to play everything I could. Uh, I did end up getting out of hockey uh, and concentrating on football. Some some people say I was probably a better hockey player than I was football player just because I like the contact. Uh, I actually still play hockey today. It was one of those things where I, I play in an adult league 
over in Brandon, Florida. And because I've missed it so much. So I'm a big advocate of play everything you can for as long as you can, because there's going to come a point in time in your life when you just can't do that anymore. But I was fortunate enough um, when I got done playing high school that I had some opportunities. Obviously, I was like anyone else uh, at high school. I wanted to go to Penn State or Notre Dame. Uh, and then when you find out you're an offensive lineman and you're six foot tall, there's not many opportunities. Uh, so then my next goal was to go to University of Rhode Island. Uh, I don't, I think it was just as far away from Alaska as I could. I was tired of the snow, even though, you know, the winters in the Northeast are probably relatively same, just not as long. You know, Alaska has two seasons. We call it winter and breakup. Um, so I was fortunate enough to go to a Division II school in Western Colorado. Um, I had a great career there, enjoyed every moment of my time, uh, being able to basically use my body and my athletic abilities to get a college education. Um, I was your typical college student. I was there. Um, my parents finally asked, was I going to graduate anytime soon? Because uh, I had five years at five years of eligibility because I redshirted my first year. Uh, so I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in sociology. And I kind of feel like I, I later in my career, I wanted to go into teaching. Um, so I had the opportunity to stay at the school that I played and get another degree in kinesiology and with a minor in education. And I was all set, ready to go back to Alaska and do student teaching and become a teaching. How I got into coaching um, there's a football camp up in Alaska that's pretty big. Um, they always called me since I was a player from Alaska. They wanted me to be a camp counselor. Um, so I started doing that. And that's where I met uh, a lot of college football coaches, a lot of NFL players, uh, and really enjoyed coaching. Um, so that's when I knew I wanted to coach. So I was all set to go back. Um, it was my last year of school. I was I only took one class in the spring. It was a college algebra class. I'm not a big fan of math. So I figured I'll put the pressure on me. I like pressure. I like last minute situations. I guess you could say I, I want the ball in my hands or the puck on my stick. You know, I want to be the one to take the last shot. So I figured I'm not good at math. Let's save it till the end. Uh, if I pass it, I graduate. If I don't, then I'll, I'll be back another semester. So I had the opportunity to um, go to Texas as a graduate assistant at Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, and graduate assistant job is, is everything that you've ever heard. Um, you, it's a little bit, little bit different at division two than division one, because in division two, the graduate assistants are actually coaching a position and you do have some responsibilities. Uh, my college football coach, who I still talk to, to today, um, gave me some advice. He said, don't speak till spoken to, don't a answer a question until it, unless it's directly asked to you. Um, and no one likes anyone that's disloyal. So if you're there and it's not the place for you, don't badmouth anybody, just leave at the end of the year, go find another position because if you get tagged as a disloyal coach, it's going to be very hard for you to, um, make it in this business. So unfortunately, fortunately, it was a great situation for me. Um, I was able to uh, get my master's. It was long days and nights. It was two years of a blur because we were up at five in the morning lifting weights. Uh, I had to teach 
classes. I taught weightlifting classes, fencing classes, golf classes, walking classes, all the um, activity courses as graduate assistants we had to teach at that level. And then we had football basically till the wee hours of the night. And then we went to class probably till nine or 10 o'clock at night. So the GA was a great experience, a lot of hard work, a lot of hours, uh, and I was fortunate enough. And then when I got my um, graduate, when I got my master's degree in kinesiology from Midwestern State, obviously I was looking for a college job. That's what I wanted to do. Um, at that point in time in my career, it was tough to break in. It was about who you knew, and uh, it was difficult. Um, I was fortunate enough. Uh, my college roommate in Colorado was from Florida, and it was interesting because the coach in Colorado basically said, let's take the kid from Florida and let's take the kid from Alaska. And he actually roomed us together because he figured we wouldn't make it. We wouldn't survive because a lot of people during the two days in college, well, they call it the night train. They're going to take the, the night train out of town in the middle of the night. They're going to quit. And so his philosophy was let's put the two kids from the farthest away lands from Colorado because they're going to leave. Um, and that way I can get the money back on the room. If I put the kid from Alaska with the kid from Colorado, the kid from Colorado is going to stay. And I still got to pay full price of that room and only have one body in there. So it was interesting, you know, and he tells the story that he put us together and actually, you know, we became best friends. I lived 35 minutes from him. He was the best man in my wedding. I was the best man in his wedding. So when it came time to find a job, he got me to come down to Florida. Uh, I interviewed at DeSoto High School in Arcadia, Florida, Venice High School in Venice, and then Hardy High School uh, in Wachula, Florida. Um, I felt the best situation for me was to come on as an assistant at DeSoto High School. Um, was there my first year as a defensive coordinator, and it was culture shock to me. Uh, high school football and college football are completely different. Um, in college, you could recruit the athletes that you wanted. You went out and find the people that you thought were going to help you. And, and in high school football, you had the kids that want to be there, the kids that just want to be a part of the team. And then you got a whole bunch of kids that just because their dad played, they're going to play. And you got to make those kids, especially in a rural situation like I was in Arcadia, you know, there was there weren't kids coming in and out. The recruiting and the transferring schools just didn't happen. You had your kids. And it was nice because – you could form a relationship with those kids when they were younger uh, through middle school and in high school. So in 2000, I got the head coaching position in Arcadia. Uh, enjoyed it. Um, was I ready to be the head coach? Absolutely not. Um, they should never hired me, but they did look, you know, back then I had all the answers. I mean, it was interesting because when I got the head job, I was already designing state championship rings and t-shirts because I thought it was easy. And then of course it doesn't help nothing. Your first play from scrimmage, you, you go 80 yards for a touchdown. And of course that did not help any either. Cause I was like, this thing's easy. Um, but I took my lumps and bruises after three years. Uh, I didn't win enough games to their satisfaction. Um, and part about being the head coach in a small town like that is part of the responsibilities is to be the athletic director. I had no desire to be an athletic director. I became an athletic director um, because it came with the position of being head football coach. So that was my first stint as athletic director was is part of the job. Uh, so you have to do both. So I did those and I enjoyed being both. Um, you, you took a lot of criticism when you're the head football coach and the athletic director because you get blamed for funneling all the money to one sport and the other sports, you know, suffer. 
So I learned at an early age, you got to be, you know, perception is reality and things like that. Um, a lot of people don't understand that. So after um, my 2003 season there, I was let go uh, as the athletic director, as the football coach, they wanted me to stay on as the athletic director for the remainder of the year. Um, we basically negotiated and I told them I would on one condition. I had nothing to do with the football schedule because I didn't want to get blamed for next year. If they didn't win, they'd said I'd stack the schedule against them. So I completely removed myself from the scheduling process um, and actually got a job at Texas A&I. It's a division two powerhouse school in Kingsville, Texas. Um, Daryl Green played there. Um, John Randall played there. So there was a lot of talent there. And at the time they were going through a name change uh, and they changed all those schools in Texas and basically Texas A&I, because the rumor was when I coached in Texas, if you wanted to get paid in college, you went to Texas A&M. If you wanted to get paid in the NFL, you went to Texas A&I. It was a caliber of athletes that were there. So I got the offensive line job there and was real excited. But during that time, they were changing over the names. And so Texas A&I became Texas A&M Kingsville. So I had one day to get all my information sent to HR. I did that. The lady went to lunch. Uh, something happened. She could not return to the office and process my paperwork. So they were basically said the job's yours, but we can't pay you till August. This is January. Um, well, obviously, when you're young and you got a house in Florida and, and a car payment, the bills aren't going to wait because your job can't pay you. Um, so I was just—I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I was in the office one day in the weight room, actually, uh, and Bill Castle from Lakeland High School called and basically said, "Hey, I heard you need a job." And I said, "I do." He goes, "Well, would you come up to Lakeland tonight so we can talk?" So I got in my car and I drove up to Lakeland High School, met Bill Castle at Lakeland High School. I didn't know anything about Lakeland High School or anything. I just, the only time I knew about Lakeland High School was we were coming home from a game one night in DeSoto and all the kids were going crazy because Lakeland had lost to Haines City to nothing. And the kids couldn't believe Lakeland lost that the streak was over. And I leaned over to one of my assistant coaches and said, who's Lakeland? And they go, oh, it's a, it's a powerhouse. You know, it's the, 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 big football program in our area and so I was fortunate enough I went up and interviewed with Coach Castle uh, with him one-on-one -on -one, and then we went out that night for him to introduce me to the rest of the staff um, took the position at Lakeland High School uh, was an assistant coach there uh, coach football ran the defense was assistant head coach had a great opportunity uh, and during that time around 2008 you know the economy was hit pretty hard so schools were cutting positions um, we had an offensive line coach that was in the PE department with me and he was looking to lose his job and we were trying to be creative on ways to keep our staff there. Um, we didn't really know what we were going to do. I was sitting in my office one day, just got done with PE, the principal from Lakeland high school. Uh, she just became the principal. She was going to be the principal the next year. She walked down to my office and says, uh, I need someone I can trust to be my athletic director. And you're now my athletic director. And she walked out and, that's how I became the athletic director at Lakeland High School. So it was two instances where I had no desire to be the athletic director. But after we talked, it was one of those situations where I could leave the PE department. The offensive line coach would stay in the PE department. I wouldn't have classes and become the athletic director. And it was interesting because I told my principal, it's amazing what you can get away with, with you know, in the earlier days. I told my principal, I said, I'll be your athletic director. 
as long as you understand that you're getting a football coach, that's the AD, not an athletic director that coaches football. And she was happy with that. Um, I, and my main thing was I didn't want to be interrupted at football practice and deal with a cross country issue or something like that, because I felt it was important um, once I was on the field with my student athletes that we weren't interrupted, that they have 100% of my time because um, I think they deserve that. And I didn't want to have to push them aside to go deal with an issue. And my principal is very supportive that says, I, you know, I can deal with cross country or anything that comes up. So it was interesting. I never took my cell phone to any practice. I was the athletic director at Lakeland High School, never had my cell phone at any practice. And the community support was unbelievable for me because I never took my cell phone to games. Um, and only one instance that my secretary came up to me on the sideline and says, we have a problem. And that's when we were playing Fleming Island in the state semifinals. And the, the head football coach went up to the press box and ripped all the wires out of the jumbotron because the music was too loud, but we had to deal with that. But so I got put into an AD position uh, and really started to enjoy it. My principal always told me that I could be a really good AD, but all my time, she goes, I'm, you're a good AD, but you could be better, but all your time goes to football with the demands of football. Um, and people always ask me, how could you be like some football, be the athletic director and do all those things? I say, at the time I was single. So people didn't see me in the office at 10 o'clock at night when they were home with their families. I was making up the time doing the work because I was single, didn't answer to anybody. Um, had a lot of experience. Um, I was fortunate enough when I was in Texas to go back a little bit. I interned with the Dallas Cowboys in 1998. I also had another, I was a guest coach with the CFL with Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, in 2003, 2004. So I've been fortunate enough where I've been everywhere. So my, I'm very humble, um, but of all the places I've been college and then with Dallas in 98 and with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I enjoyed high school kids. I learned to enjoy coaching high school kids. And I found so much respect for high school coaches, just for the fact that you're, you're taking kids and you're making them student athletes and football players. And, you know, it, it's a tough challenge. So that my respect level for high school coaches, I've met some of the best coaches that are at the high school level that, you know, could coach any college coach under the under the bus any given day. Because there's so much more to being a high school football coach because you're you're essentially their parent and their guardian. You're their mentor, you're their friend, you're their father, you're their coach. You're, there's so many more hats you wear when you're at the high school level. So I really enjoyed it. And one of the great joys I had at Lakeland was we had a lot of success, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I think the most rewarding moment is when, uh, for me, is when my former players would come to a game or come to a practice and they wanted me to meet their wife and their kids because obviously I knew I had an impact in their life. And, and it's amazing how many kids come back um, to see me. And I, I do a great job of keeping in contact with them. Uh, I always had a rule when any kid that would go off to college that was fortunate enough, I would call them once a week. And we could not talk about football until we got done talking about their grades and their academics and their, are they staying out of trouble? I didn't want to talk football. Um, and, you know, so it was hard to, you know, and 
Mike and Marquise win the national championship and I want to talk academics before they, all they want to do is tell me how they won the national championship with Tim Tebow. You know, and I didn't want to hear it. I wanted to talk grades and see how they're doing and, you know, and, and be a part of their lives and do those different things. So I really enjoyed it. Um, but I was still a coach. And then I got to a point, I got married. Um, I moved to Winter Haven. So it's about 30 minutes outside of Lakeland. So the drive every day. And I just kind of got one of those situations where I, I really felt I could do all I could do coaching. I didn't have any more to prove. I didn't have a desire to be a head coach. All these young kids that want to be a head coach, I really don't think they understand what it takes. You really don't coach anymore. And I had such a great time at Lakeland just coaching. And that's all I had to worry about. As a head coach, you got to worry about what happens if the bus doesn't show up on time? Is the pregame meal going to be there? Because all that stuff falls on you. And I, I was there at a young age being a head coach. and Didn't deserve to be a head coach and shouldn't have been. Uh, but I really got back to enjoying coaching. So the athletic director to me at that time was, it was something that I had to do in order to do the thing that I wanted to do. Um, and then as life progressed, I got married and um, we had a county athletic director in Polk County, and that job interests me. It was pretty funny because back in 2004, a buddy of mine has a picture. The county AD at the time was Don Bridges, and he had a, a county athletic director truck, and he was in charge of driver's education. I taught driver's ed during the summer, make a little extra money. And I remember taking a picture next to the truck saying it's going to be mine one day. And then, of course, when I got this job, uh, he sent me that picture. We had a good laugh about it. So when I knew Dom was getting close to retirement, I kind of weighed my options and, and asked what was I going to do. And uh, with me living in Winter Haven, I lived right next, I moved right, right next door to the principal at Winter Haven High School. And um, she had a bad run of athletic directors. You know, there's some situations that, you know, had came up at Winter Haven High School that, you know, they had about three or four athletic directors in a two year span. Um, we know the longevity in this business is not very high. So with our conversations just over the fence line, um, it basically came up is, would you come to Winter Haven? And my wife graduated from Winter Haven High School, so she got excited. And um, the coaching aspect was tough. We were looking to start a family, and I knew that I couldn't do both if I wanted to, to be the father that I want to be. Uh, and I figured I could be the athletic director and come home after school. And if I had to go back to cover an event, obviously my kids could come with me uh, and do that. But I couldn't do that with coaching. And, you know, coaching is difficult because I've been at a lot of levels where I never wanted to come home to a note. Because uh, when I was in college, um, I was the guy that had a two-bedroom apartment. And there was plenty, plenty of nights that there was assistant coaches staying over because their wife kicked them out. So I saw the toll the business can take coaching on a family. So I never wanted that. So I decided, let me go to Winter Haven um, and just be the athletic director. And man, I had two great years at Winter Haven. I enjoyed it. Um, the first year we won the Sportsmanship Award for the FHSA and, and things were just rolling from there um, and had a good time. And then the district athletic director position came open. Um, there was another athletic director in this county that had more experience than I did and I just wanted to give it a shot and, and throw my name in the hat I felt if I got an interview that I could do well in the interview I and I was fortunate enough where they did offer me the position and man it's it's been a blessing ever since I, I enjoy my position um, there is some downfalls you know when you get out of coaching and you're all about 
building relationship with student athletes. You become an athletic director at a school, you tend to lose a little bit of that, but you can still, you know, get involved. When I was at Winter Haven High School, I made it a point to go practice one day uh, with every team. So, and, and as you can tell, I'm a big boy. So jumping in the swimming pool with a swim team was interesting. Um, you know, Winter Haven is predominantly, you know, they have a unbelievable girls basketball team. It was probably one of the worst decisions I made, but I came out and practiced one day with the girls basketball team. And I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Uh, I mean, they ran me up and down and, you know, he presses. So I had to press. And then, I mean, and those girls, you know, and you got girls going to Connecticut and Kentucky and they can play some ball and they, um, they absolutely abused me that day. So it was fortunate enough to, that's my way of wanting to stay involved with kids. And I remember the girls basketball coach came in my office one day at lunch to talk about something. Eight of his girls were in my office just hanging out and eating lunch. And he said, coach, this has never happened before. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, the athletes want to come hang out with you. And I said, you know, I've always, every job I interviewed for, I always told them this, I work for the student athletes. I don't work for the principal. I don't, and I, cause I figure if the student athletes are happy, the parents are happy, and then the principal is going to be happy. And, and it always attacked it from that end is I, I am the voice and advocate for the student athletes and that's who I work for. And I had to build that relationship with those kids that they can come talk to me about their coach and, and not run back and tell the coach. And once you build that connection with the student athletes, um, it's a great experience. And then going to the district office. So you, you're in charge of one high school and then all of a sudden you inherit 14. Um, so that was interesting for me because we're in a state of our society and in our world where one sheet of paper should be a cookie cutter sheet for 14 different high schools. And I always went with the approach that there's 14 different high schools. I'm going to treat them 14 different ways and not treat everyone the same. We're going to have our set rules we're going to follow um, as a county, but you know, I'm going to take each school and the situations that have come, but it, it's been, it's been a great experience for me. I enjoy um, being the district athletic director. I say that, but we, we are in difficult times now where it is stressful because uh, you got 14 schools, you got, a, you know, a thousand coaches looking at you going, when do we start practice? When are we going to be able to play? And, and wanting answers to questions we can't answer right now. So this has obviously since March has been a very stressful position because you, you're taking into account student safety, you're taking into account, you know, the coaches well-being and, and things like that. So they are getting their money out of me this year for sure, but I really enjoy it. But the one thing that no one can prepare you for, and I've talked to a few people, not just in in my department, because I really didn't know any other district athletic directors um, before, so I had no one to talk to. So I did a lot of talking to the people that were principals and coaches and worked their way up, and now we're at the district office, and they all said the same thing. There's no one can prepare you. You're going to miss the kids, and you got to be creative in ways to still stay involved with the kids. So um, one thing I've done is, is I open, I have meetings you know, in the district that are open to all student athletes. And, and one of my things I talk about a lot is the NCAA. Um, but that's kind of been my way to be involved with the student athletes is, is try to give them some of my knowledge that I have. So that's kind of, you know, me in a nutshell. 
Wow. Uh, I didn't realize how many parallels you and I had, but uh, great, great experiences. Obviously, they've helped shape you. Let's talk about that for a little bit in your travels um, as a high school athlete, a college athlete, uh, working with professional programs, and then in, as an administrator. Um, just maybe in a minute or two, who have been some of your uh, key mentors that have allowed you to learn and, and build your leadership resume? Oh, the first one, obviously, is my father. Um, you, we butted heads when I was a kid, obviously, uh, both type A personalities. Uh, but he was military. And until this day, um, the only time I get anxiety about anything is with time constraints. And it's not the time. But if I have a meeting at 10 o'clock, I want to make sure I'm there ready by 930. Because just because in my household growing up, when I was supposed to be home, I remember when I came home as a kid, my father used a traditional method, ninth grader, 9 p.m., 10th grader, 10 p.m., 11th grader, 11 p.m., and 12th grader, 12 p.m. That's standard, you know, when you're supposed to be home. And I remember in ninth grade, I came home and I got walked in the door and it was nine o'clock and 15 seconds and I was late. And there was no excuse. Uh, and it was unacceptable. Um, and people always ask me, um, you know, how come your hair is so short all the time? And it's just, you know, I went to the barber on base and that's how they cut my hair. I mean, it just, so my father was a big influence. And then obviously um, my college football coach. I mean, he doesn't understand the time difference. He lives in Oregon now. He doesn't understand there's a three hour difference. So when he calls at one in the morning to say hi, because he's up, uh, I don't think he understands time change, but obviously my college football coach has been a great mentor and he's a great friend today. You, um, you mentioned earlier um, your work with the NCAA. You've sort of become the last couple of years uh, Florida's guru on all things with um, NCAA eligibility. How'd that happen? And, and how do you stay current on all of the changes? Basically, it happened when I was coaching at Lakeland. Um, we had a, a tremendous amount of student athletes. And it was, you know, I remember when I was going to college, um, all I needed, I needed a 700 on the SAT. Uh, that's all I needed. And I, and, uh, I got that in my sleep. I don't, I mean, I think I went to bed at like five in the morning and got up at six o'clock and drove over to a high school and took the SAT and got, uh, you know, I don't even know what I got, but I knew I was going to get a 700. Um, but nowadays the rules were changing it and the NCA stance is, is it's the parent's responsibility. And if you know anything about high school coaching, you are the parent. I mean, you really are. And, you have to, so I just started making sure kids were eligible and just took on that role. I mean, the guidance counselors have a lot of other responsibilities they had to do and their main focus is to make sure they graduate high school. That's what they're there for. And, and I always felt it's my job to, to find a kid a home uh, in the college level. And if they're ready for college then they're gonna graduate as well too. So I just, kind of took that on uh, at Lakeland and and started making spreadsheets and started tracking kids from the ninth grade and the courses that they took and uh, developed spreadsheets that tracked them and then had file folders and just kind of evolved. Uh, and then I wake up one morning and I got all these people asking me about the NCAA. It just kind of happened by accident, really. Um, but I enjoy that part of it. Um, you know, I've had many of conversations good and bad with the NCAA but I over the years uh, I've been fortunate enough to form a great relationship with them I have many 
people that I talk to on, on weekly and monthly basis. I have their personal cell phones and we can talk. I mean, when this whole COVID thing was coming out, I was, I was getting information before it was released to the public to prepare. And I basically, anytime I'm at the national AD conference, I'm going to attend the NCA segment. It was interesting because in Washington, DC, I did a breakout session on the NCAA and the actual NCAA showed up to my session um, to see what I had to say about them. But I just want to get the word out. I think it's important for, you know, the coaches to have, because there's a lot of coaches out there that don't take responsibility with the NCAA. They're, they think their job is just a coach, but I always wanted to make sure that they were headed in the right direction because I never wanted to see a kid miss out on an opportunity that I had to go play college football. Yeah, I was at the division two level, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, I wanted to run out in front of a hundred thousand people at Penn state. And, but I look back and my lifelong friends are, are the, or were my college roommates and they were all in my wedding and we still talk to these days. We take vacations together. Um, so it was a great experience. And I wanted every student athlete to have that opportunity. And if they didn't make it, it wasn't going to be due to because they took the wrong class or they didn't get a test score. And, and with it ever changing and how difficult it is, uh, I just found myself reading a lot and getting up to date. And I have spreadsheets and um, the and the the best thing I like about and I said this every time I give a, a speech somewhere. The best thing about being an athletic director is I no longer have to lie to you. I can tell you the truth um, because athletic directors are a unique bunch where we all have the same problems. We have the same issues. Um, and I can give you an idea on how to deal with people um, and deal with situations because that's what I want to do as a coach. I was always nervous. If I gave you too much information, would it come back and haunt me on a Friday night? Would there be a chance we would play each other on a Friday night? So I was never going to give you enough information because I didn't want to lose to you. Um, but now as an athletic director, I share everything that I have. Uh, we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to do the best for student athletes. And I think it's important to share. And there's been, um, there's been great people in Florida and being part of the NIAAA has really expanded my mind. And I've met some great people around the nation. I was fortunate enough to be in the NIAAA cohort this year. I'm going through it right now. And, and the wealth of knowledge, you, I mean, just dealing with people from Oregon to California to Utah, and you have so many similarities in your work and you become friends. And uh, it that cohort thing is, uh, the best way I can describe it is an indescribable experience. You, it's a lot of work. Jake, as you know, you went through it last year. It is a lot of work and you know the work comes up like, oh, I got homework due and this and that. But man, the, the, the NIAAA cohort has been probably one of the best experiences as an athletic director. Uh, I, I would uh, concur. And uh, uh, going back to the NCAA for a bit, you did a, just a fantastic job this past spring at our virtual conference, getting three representatives from the NCAA to attend our Zoom conference. Uh, just fantastic, great resource. You also brought up uh, COVID. And uh, the one thing that you and I have seen here in Florida is that you know there, there is no uh, single answer. Um, what are some things that you are doing right now in Polk County with your coaches, with your athletic directors, um, with the Polk County plan for reopening? So whatever that is, 
what are some things that you're doing right now that uh, you can share with our athletic directors? So we began our, our summer conditioning um, on June 15th. And obviously we went, we broke it up into three phases, kind of the standard norm as everyone else. Our first phase was um, no more than 10 people inside and no more than 10 people outside. Um, and what we wanted to do, uh, we understood that transportation issues with our student athletes, obviously. So we were kind of a little bit different than some other counties. We allowed 10 people on the football field and we counted the football field as a location. But if, if another coach wanted to work with nine more student athletes in the outfield of baseball, then the baseball field was location. We, only, we work with them on start times and stagger times because if you got 10 on the baseball field, 10 on the softball field, 10 on the football field, and 10 in the weight room, well, you got 40 student athletes. Now they're going to gather and they're going to hang out in the parking lot and not go home. So we did our stagger times. We started phase two um, this week. We kept the um, indoor limit the same. We increased our outdoor activities to a larger groups. Um, we're now, we just added recently and it's modifying and changing all the time. I mean, our phase is never dealt with wearing masks on the indoors. With, with the recent spike, we've added wearing masks uh, if we're going to be indoors, uh, whether it's in the gym or the weight room. The one thing that everyone kind of said in working together uh, is no use of water fountains and water cows. Uh, and what we found out is we had to add the use of a water cow to our workouts. Um, we have one coach, uh, is unfortunately, it's the youngest guy on the staff probably. He's monitoring that thing 24-7. No kids are allowed to use a water cow. The coach will refill their water bottles. But we just found out that, you know, some student athletes just don't have access to water bottles. So a lot of schools are, you know, going to Sam's and, and Publix and, and providing their own water bottles and they can get them. But we introduced the use of a water cow that has to be supervised by the coach 24-7 and sanitized after each use. We have been... Um, fortunate in Polk County versus other counties. We haven't had a student athlete test positive. Um, I think the coaches are doing a magnificent job. We're doing the screenings before they enter. We're taking the temperatures before they enter. We're doing everything we can to provide a safe environment for the student athletes. The, the thing that scares me is they're only with us two hours a day and we don't control the other 22 hours that they do. So a lot of it is, you know, part of our workout is educating the students to wash their hands, don't touch their face, all the things, don't drink after each other. Um, a lot of part is educating the student athletes because you know, we gotta have faith in that they're hopefully gonna do the right thing the 22 hours they're not with us. Um, so we've been very fortunate enough. We've had some student athletes that had had uh, contact with someone that hasn't got us. So we've removed them from the, obviously for the workouts and, and made arrangements for them to get tested if need be. Um, but we are fortunate, knock on wood right now, that things are going smoothly. I, you know, the one thing I explained to my superintendent when we first explored the option of coming back to some conditioning is I wasn't worried about the coaches. Um, the coaches were so hungry to see their kids, especially if you hire coaches that truly love student athletes. They're going to do anything you tell them to do as long as they can get in front of their student athletes. Because I think you know, they, they had a void in their life for so long of missing them because a lot of them, 
you know, that is their life. Those kids are their life. And for that to be taken away with them, you could have told them they had to do anything and they would have done it. Uh, I was worried about how many coaches we were going to lose because when I got out of coaching, well, first my college roommate got out of coaching and I couldn't believe it. I thought he was, what are you doing? I couldn't understand it, couldn't process it. You're getting, he goes, when you get out of coaching, you'll understand. And when I got out of coaching and realized, man, I'm home at three o'clock, I can go fishing or I can do this or I can go work out or I had all this extra time on my hands and I was actually enjoying it. I understood that, you know, there is life outside of coaching. So I was a little bit worried about our coaches realizing that there is more to life outside of coaching. But so far, so good here in Polk County. Uh, everyone's back. Uh, well, that's good to hear. Uh, let's go ahead and move to uh, our wrap-up. We always like to uh, close out with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Uh, you're a veteran AD, obviously lots of success in different environments. Um, if you were going to put together a toolbox for a brand new AD in your district, what are the three things that you would put in that toolbox to help that new AD have a successful year? For me, I mean, there's so many. Um, the three things I think I would, one, is I would write them a little note, be flexible. Um, we learned as young, I mean, we've learned the hard way that you can have a to-do list on your desk of things you need to accomplish that day. And it never, you never get to them. You never get to them. Um, so it, they have to, Basically, in Florida, I'm going to give them the red book and say, read it. And people think they don't need to read the book. They think they know the rules. Uh, I was one of those high school football coaches that carried the rule book in them because I was always going to be right uh, with the officials and I would call them out. But obviously, the red book, um, be flexible. And the one thing I think probably the third one and probably the most important is, is young athletic directors, when parents call or something happens, you know, you got to realize you didn't do it. It's your job to fix it. Um, and so and be understanding and be compassionate. And it's more about just being a people person. I tell this to all the principals in Polk County. I said, you pick who you want as the AD. I can work with anybody, but I can't teach them how to talk to parents. I can't teach them how to be compassionate. They got to have that within them. I can tell them when the AT you know, 17 form is due for the FHA. I can, I can work all those matters, but I, I think three things is you got to young ladies be flexible, be compassionate and, and always be a man of your word. I think, you know, to me, I, uh, a promise is a promise. And to me, I, if I give you my word that I'm going to do something, then I'm going to stick to it. And that word means more than a signed contract because anybody can, sign my name to a contract and forge it if they want to. But if I give you my word, I just think it's, is you got to be flexible. You got to know the rules and you got to have compassion. Well, great stuff. Thanks a lot. Well, we appreciate everybody uh, watching today, listening today. Um, tune in next Monday. Remember our episodes uh, appear every Monday. Uh, next episode will be Pam Lancaster. Pam's the, Athletic Director at Auburndale High School. She's doing some great things down there. Dan, thanks for being on. Uh, you and I will see each other coming up at a couple of FIAAA Zooms. But uh, thanks so much for being here today. Jake, it's always a pleasure. Uh, it's always good to see you and talk to you. And uh, enjoy it all the time. I can't 
you know, thank you enough for all the hard work you're doing and for the, the leadership you're taking in as an athletic director and promoting what we do. Uh, so it is greatly appreciated. I thank you. Oh, thank you, my friend. Uh, everybody have a great day and we will see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Educational AD Podcast. I want to remind you that the Zoom recording of this interview is also available on YouTube on the Educational AD channel. Thanks again for listening.